It's football season, almost. Browns played last night. They're looking great. The Buckeyes rated number four. I'm hoping they can live up to that and even do better. We'll see. I had a phone call the other day with my good friend Doug Martin. He's the head football coach at New Mexico State University. I've talked about him before. And so we were talking about the games coming up and, and their first game. And New Mexico State is not a big football school, but their first game is against Washington State, and then they play Alabama, which is a, just a small football school down south. And I asked him, I said, what is the key to playing well? He said, well, really, I, and I didn't ask him, if they're, you know, what's the key to winning? I'm, that's out the window. What's the key to playing well? And he said the key is holding on to the ball and not getting offsides. That, but we have to discipline ourselves to be able to play well during game time. We were at a wedding last week, and I was talking to a, to a friend of mine who he's, he does Ironmans. You know what that is. That's 2.4-mile swim, 114-mile bike ride, 26.2-mile marathon all in one day. I said, how do you do that? And he said, well, I just have to get it on the calendar, and then I discipline myself. He said, how about doing a, he said to me, how about doing a half marathon? And I said, well, do they have like 1% marathons or, or Ironmans, you know? You know, whether you're talking about football or Ironman or um, any other sport, baseball, whatever it is, discipline is huge. You have to discipline yourself so that you are ready when the lights come on, when it's game time. Now, for us Christians... Game time is life itself. The foundational verse that we've been using for this series on the spiritual disciplines is this one from 1 Timothy. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And God has given us spiritual disciplines to help us know how to go at life His way. And so this series is on those disciplines. We can't cover all of them, but some of the ones we've looked at, we started with confession, and that's the idea of just acknowledging what we already know about ourselves and then telling God and telling a trusted friend, confession, it's good for the soul, right? We've talked about meditation, and that simply means meditating, ruminating on Scripture, getting into our head so then it translates into our heart, so then it translates into our out our fingers and, and behavior, how we, how we act in life, meditation. We've talked about prayer, which is just communicating, conversing with God, both talking to God and listening to God. We've, uh, next week, we're talking about sharing our faith, and that'll be interesting. Why is that so important, and how do we do that in a way that is attractive rather than off-putting? So, today... The spiritual discipline we're talking about is fasting. Really? Fasting? If anybody wants to leave right now, I understand. Because this is a hard one. Some of you have been great at it. I have not. I'm not so sure I've really fully understood it. I'm glad I've had this opportunity to study it. I discovered that fasting is talked about more in the Bible than baptism. We take baptism seriously, don't we? Fasting. Wow. Interesting topic. Um, when I was in high school playing football, uh, we had these insufferable summer two-day practices. And I remember the drill the most 
that I hated the most. And it was this board they put on the ground. And I lined up on the board in a four-point stance against another guy in a four-point stance. And we had to try to push the other guy off the board. Hated it. Hated it with a passion. But the reason it was so important is that it prepared us for game time when we were facing the real opponent. And so Jesus has given us these spiritual disciplines. And fasting might be the hardest one. It might be the boards. And yet, it has a role in helping us understand how we go at life his way. So, that's what we're talking about. Now, there are a lot of passages on, that deal with fasting. But I, I think that the best one to start with are the, are the words of Jesus as he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And this is how it goes. And when you fast, which almost always in the Bible means going without food, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private and your Father who sees Everything will reward you. Now, we want to understand together. We're, we're learning together this morning. I'm learning with you why fast is important, and then eventually we'll get to the, the how, right? Okay, now, before we get into why, I think it's maybe good that we begin to talk about why not, all right? why we should not fast. <laughs> okay, so Jesus makes it clear in what we just read. Uh, this was verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. So the, the Pharisees, they fasted two days a week. That's a, that's a good thing. And it's not wrong for someone to know that you are fasting, that you are going without something. Uh, but the, the point Jesus is trying to make is if you are in some way addicted to the admiration of people, that is not a good reason to fast. In fact, in just a little while, we'll read that, uh, that only your father who sees what's done in secret, he's the one who will reward you. If you just look for, the, for the, the applause of people, well, that's the only reward you'll get. Now, there's another reason uh, not to fast, and let's go to... Luke 18. We don't have time to read everything, but let me just tell you the story. There, there, there's a couple of guys, and Jesus is telling a parable. There's a couple of guys in the parable. One is a Pharisee. The other one is a tax collector. They show up at the, at the temple to pray. And the, and the Pharisee prays something like this. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, including this tax collector. I thank you that I'm not a robber and a thief and all of that. I give a tenth of all of my money back to you, and I fast twice a day. I don't know if he sounded just like that, but I imagine that. And then the tax collector comes up, and he prays. And he simply prays, Oh God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus goes on to say, Which of these two do you think is made right with God? Which one is justified before God? It is the one who comes before God with a repentant spirit. Nothing to do with fasting. The third comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We won't take time to read it. I'll just tell you about it. Fasting is not a way to be commended by God. Paul essentially says, you eat food 
you don't eat food. That's not the way to get brownie points from God, right? Okay. So there are reasons not to fast. Now, now, some of you are familiar with other religions in the world. In fact, all the other religions of the world have some type of fasting. Did you know that? And some of them will make it very apparent. They flaunt it. They are fasting. All the other religions of the world see fasting as some way of getting a commendation from God, somehow being made right with God. And this is what separates all the other religions from true Christianity. As someone once said, all the other religions of the world can be spelled D-O, do. I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this, and I have to fast in order that I can be made right with God. True Christianity is spelled how? D-O-N-E. That God has done for us through Christ what we could never do for ourselves. God, through, through your faith in Jesus, makes you right with God. You are justified by your faith through Christ. You are brought into the family of God. And do you know, there is nothing you can do once you've put your faith in Jesus, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less or make God love you more, including fasting. Once you're in the family of God, fasting is only a way to take you deeper into your experience with God. So, what's the reason for fasting? Um, let's go back to our passage. And when you fast, Jesus says. And then if you look down at verse 17, but when you fast, interesting. Now, fasting is only commanded once in the entire Bible. It's in the Old Testament, and it's for the Day of Atonement, which does not apply to us anymore. All of the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament have gone away. So for Christians, it's not a commandment. But it's clear from what Jesus says, and when you fast, but when you fast, it is, it's an assumption that we will fast. It's, it's implied. It's, it's expected. But we still need to get to why. What, what, why is it so good? Why is it so important? So as I've prepared for my time with you, I've done a lot of reading about fasting. <clears throat> and I came up with a variety of explanations of fasting. Do you guys find this interesting? I hope you do, because I, I, I'm learning a lot about something I never really understood fully before. It's not just dieting. There's something to this. And all of these explanations of fasting point to the importance of fasting for the Christian. And I, There's a whole bunch of explanations. I want to give you five. And, and the first one goes like this. Fasting is a seeking after God's heart. It's not just giving up food. You know, Lent, you think of Lent in early in the, in, the, in the year when people give up food. But we don't just give up food. We give it up to seek after God's heart. Another explanation, fasting is a way to take our eyes off the things of this world to focus completely on God. Fasting is doing with less so we can have more of God. Christian fasting, at its root, John Piper says, is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Fasting is giving up a need to embrace my greatest need. 
Pastor Eric at Sandusky, Pastor Todd at Norwalk today, they are, we're all using that line right there. That, that kind of says it all. But what is our greatest need? Our greatest need is God himself. Our greatest need is to learn how we can go at life, game time, in a way that is pleasing to God. And so at the very end of the words of Jesus that we were just looking at, this is what he says, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. What is our reward? I think it's God himself. In some mysterious way through fasting, we are taken deeper into our experience with God as we have already, <clears throat> as we have already been firmly brought into his family through faith in Christ. Now, a number of us in this room, including myself, have tried fasting with some success, but also, I would say, along with myself, we've tried fasting with, with well, it's not been that enjoyable. It, it, it's been frustrating. And so I came across a story. I love this story because this guy is so raw and real and authentic in his, um, in his uh, I guess, story of his own fasting experience. And this is how it, this is how it starts. I fasted on several occasions and nothing happened. I just got hungry. Well, that pretty much says it all. But, 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 the, but the, story, the story continues. Several years ago, I heard a couple of pastors discussing fasting. On their recommendation, I tried my first fast. They said it was commanded in the Bible. Now, I added Old Testament for you. It's not in the story, but I want you to know it's only commanded in the Old Testament for the Day of Atonement. They said it was commanded in the Bible and should be practiced by every Christian. Being a Christian, I decided to try it. After putting it off for several days, I mustered up enough courage to start. I couldn't go to the breakfast table without my family because I didn't think I would have enough willpower to abstain from eating, so I went on to work. The coffee break was almost unbearable, and I told a little white lie about why I didn't go with the group. All I could think about was how hungry I was. I said to myself, if I ever get through this day, I'll never try this again. <laughs> Story continues. The afternoon was even worse. <laughs> I tried to concentrate on my work, but all I could hear was the growling of my stomach. My wife prepared a meal for herself and our child, and the aroma of the food was all I could bear. I figured out, I figured that if I could make it till midnight, I would have fasted all day. I did, but immediately after striking hour 12, I dug into the food. I don't think that day of fasting helped me one bit. Maybe you can relate. And I can relate to that too. Now, that sounds like a miserable experience. It sounds like an agonizing experience. So what went wrong? I think partly because he just saw it as a rule. Anytime we just do something because it's a rule, if it's not in the heart, there has to be some reason attached to it. And, and that's where the words of Donald Whitney, who wrote a really good book on spiritual disciplines. In fact, if you grabbed... Uh, the, the teaching notes on your way in. At the bottom, I've, re I've referenced his book. In his chapter on fasting, he mentions that fasting goes best when there is a reason and a purpose attached to it. And he gives 10 purposes for fasting. We don't have enough time to talk about 10 purposes, but I've kind of boiled them down into three that I think are meaningful to all of us. And I want to share those with you, these three purposes. So the first one goes like this, to keep us humble before God. 
Humility is the prince of virtues. Some of you know I've shared this story before. My favorite verse in the Bible for a long time has been James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You can find that same verse in 1 Peter chapter 5. The same theme of pride versus humility is found throughout Proverbs. It's woven throughout all of Scripture. Tim Keller recently was talking about pride, and he said, you know, in the parade of pride, always, always, always in that parade eventually comes destruction. You know the proverb that pride comes before a fall. It always happens. But the converse is true. In the parade of humility, always, always, always coming along is the grace of God in some way. Humility just makes life go better. Uh, last week I was uh, leading a wedding, and I said to the couple, marriages just go better with humility. Earlier when we prayed, we bowed our heads. Our prayers are an expression of humility. Um, if you are generous to someone and never tell a soul, even do it anonymously, that's an expression of humility, isn't it? Fasting is an expression of humility. And so I want to show you just several examples quickly of humility. Let me tell you about King Ahab. Ahab was, uh, you know, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. He, he was the eighth king, the worst king they ever had. He married a woman who was just as terrible named Jezebel. Today, nobody names their kids Ahab and Jezebel because of them. All right? He was terrible. And Elijah the prophet finally went to him repeatedly and said, you're going to die. You have messed up so badly. And I want to show you what Ahab says or what happens. But when Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap, and fasted. He even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. Now, there's a couple of really good lessons from this. One is that, you know, uh, we can't, you know, our, our consequences of our sin are what they are. You know, your sin will find you out, right? Um, but, the bigger and a bummer for his legacy. But nobody, including Ahab, nobody in this room, none of us can step out of the reach of God's grace. And Ahab expressed his humility through fasting. Now, King David, he was, he was out of sorts in Psalm 35. He didn't know what was happening. People were betraying him, and he, he, he was praying to God. He didn't know what to do. He was at a loss. He was at the end of himself. And so finally, he says, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. Now we could go on and give uh, more examples. Probably the one you know best is Jesus himself who fasted. Um, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. 40 days of not eating food. He drank water, I'm sure. But he did that as an expression of humility. God, I depend on the strength of your Spirit and on the Word of God. So, is there a way in which 
any of us in this room, can express our humility through fasting. Now, there's another purpose, a reason attached to the idea of fasting, and it's to strengthen our prayer life. John Calvin, the, the early 1500s uh, theologian from France, said, whenever people are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it would be expedient to point, appoint fasting along with prayer. And he was on to something. For centuries, for centuries, for centuries, Christians have fasted, have tied fasting to their prayers. I'll just give you a few examples. In the Old Testament, the person of Ezra, a book of Ezra. I'll talk about Nehemiah in a second. In the, old, in, in the Hebrew, those books were combined, Ezra and Hebrew. They were both exiles in Persia. Ezra wants to take a whole group of people back to Jerusalem. And, and, and he doesn't want to ask for military help from the king. And, 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 and he knows, though, that the, the, the road ahead is filled with danger as they travel 900 miles. And this is what he says, So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. He fortified his prayers with fasting. Some years later, Nehemiah, who goes on to do some amazing things, and that's one of the th things we study in our leadership groups with men, goes ahead, rebuilds the wall and faces all kinds of opposition. But it all starts when he hears about the broken down wall. And he says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Let's slip into the New Testament. Um, the church had been given the commission by Jesus to go into all the world, but they hadn't gone yet. And we come to Acts chapter 13. And there the disciples in the church of Antioch are praying and they're fasting and the Holy Spirit says, set apart Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries, to go into the rest of the world. And this is what we read. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them on their way. That was the start of the mission movement. And by the way, that's why you and I are here today. It's simply a story of prayer being fortified by fasting. Last one, last purpose to seek God's guidance. Um, Judges 20 says, Then all the Israelites went up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord and fasted until evening. They also brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites asked the Lord, Should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again, or should we stop? The Lord said, Go. Tomorrow I will hand them over to you. Let me explain what we're seeing there. Uh, Israel was in a predicament. They were in a battle with people they should have been in a battle with. But they kept losing over and over, and they began to wonder, is this something we should even pursue? Is this something we should continue? And finally, as they prayed, they began to fast as well, and God gave them the answer, the guidance that they needed. You know, as a pastor... This is perhaps the, the question, the conversation I have most with people, and that is regarding what, which way should I go regarding God's will? Maybe it's related to money. Maybe it's related to a move. Maybe it's related to a job. Maybe it's related to a relationship. How do we get God's guidance? I have some favorite books that I'll give out. Pastor Ryan has taught a class here on, on seeking out God's guidance in our lives. We all find ourselves at times at a fork in the road. And when I, when I teach finding God's guidance, I'll, I'll teach it like this. Well, we need to pray. 
We, we need to look at God's word for principles that give us either green lights or red lights. Well, we, we need to talk to trusted friends who know us best and can help give us guidance. We also need to look at our own hearts to see what we really want to do. Does this, does this opportunity match who we are? But regrettably, I will tell you this. I have never really told somebody to fast. And yet when I read this story and read other portions of fasting in Scripture, it becomes apparent that fasting can be a really important way to send a signal to God that I'm serious about his will. Now, it's not like fasting is a genie in the bottle. (laughs) It's not. Someone once said, though, that fasting is not so much about God's hearing as it is about our praying. It helps us to know how to pray. Okay, now those, those are three purposes, three reasons. Let's talk about how, all right? You like my little play on words, not so fast? Okay, do we have a plan? Here's an idea for a plan as we think about fasting. First, choose a purpose. Okay, let's go back through the three that we just mentioned. Okay, it's in a way to express humility. Maybe you find yourself right now at a loss in your life. You can't understand why something is happening. You can't understand what is happening. You're at the end of yourself, and you pray, and you fast, and you let God know, I just, I need you. I need you. It's, a, it's an act of humility. Or perhaps, or perhaps, it's something that you've done again or, or something you should have done. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sin over which you grieve. And it's a way to, to send a signal to God, I, I repent with true godly sorrow. Fasting sends that signal. Um, or, or maybe it's, it's yet again that, that temptation <laughs> To, to do something or not do something, again, I'm just tired of dealing with it. And fasting, in a way, I don't know, I guess just accentuates our desire to stay away from that, that sin in our lives. Well, we talked about how it can sort of turbocharge our prayer life. Like me, at times, maybe you find your prayer life dull or vanilla, or plain, or in neutral. And fasting can maybe put a new edge into your prayer life. We, we talked about um, the idea of seeking guidance, and maybe you are at a crossroads right now. Or maybe you've been at a crossroads for some time related to a job, related to a move, related to money, related to a relationship, and perhaps fasting is the very thing you need to do, right? Okay, now, another question. What will we fast from? Here's an important question to understand what we should fast from. What is, what is it that controls your life? What, even, what is it that catches your attention even more than God? What is it that's the controlling issue in your life that may even be more than God? For many of us, it can be food. 
no wonder in Scripture it's almost always food that we should fast from. It's Jesus who said that, that, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's, let's start with food. There are a couple kind of fasts. There, there's the partial fast, which means fasting from different foods. Um, if you go to the book of Daniel, you'll see that there's many, if you go to Amazon, you'll see many books on the Daniel fast. Many of them are just about dieting, don't have the spiritual aspect to it. But uh, Daniel fasted from meat and wine, and, and his, he and his friends ate only vegetables and water out of conviction. Um, you, so you can, you can fast from different types of foods, or you can fast partially during the day. Maybe it's one meal, maybe it's two meals, but letting God know this is what I want to do regarding the purposes that we have established. Um, this is just a minor, a minor partial fast for me. You know, in the morning times, I never eat my breakfast until I have my private time with God. You know, prayer time, reading time. Um, I try to eat my spiritual food before I eat my physical food. Now, those, those are partial fasts. But there's also what we call the complete fast, and that's doing without food completely. Now, maybe water and juices. I would say this, <laughs> disclaimer, see your doctor. If you have a medical issue or whatever, may see your doctor first to be sure that it's okay to do that. But, but would it be possible for a whole day to fast based upon the purposes and reasons that we've already established? It's not just a matter of giving up food. It's giving up something so we can get a greater something, who is God himself. So we list the, 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 we, uh, the, the meals, that we, and maybe it's a day, maybe it's two days, maybe it's three days. Let me just say this, walk before you run. <laughs> Start simply. At the bottom of the teaching notes that you, you, uh, were made available to you when you walked in, there's not just a book reference there, but also a website you can go to where you can learn a lot more about the whys and the hows. Now, it's not just food, though, that we can fast from. Remember the question I asked was this. What is the thing that controls your life or can control your life easily? Now, Scripture doesn't talk about social media for good reasons. I don't know. Maybe they were addicted to, like, papyrus back then. I have no idea. But the idea of maybe social media, maybe that's something that you can fast from for a day or a week for whatever time it might be. That's a possibility. Uh, uh, somebody just recently made me aware of fasting from relationships. Maybe, maybe that's the thing that controls your life, the dating scene and so on. For a while, maybe that's what needs to be fasted from. Maybe it's your phone. I already mentioned Facebook. Maybe it's shopping. None of these are bad. But if they're controlling, maybe that's the thing that needs to be fasted from. Here's the point. <clears throat> we want to we wanna make sure our bodies know that they are not in control. But we want God to be in control of our lives. Now, the last one is simply this, to have a plan. When will this happen? Let me just throw this out. How about this week? Something. 
Make sure it's tied to one of the purposes, tied to one of the reasons that we talked about. That's important. But again, walk before you run. Start slow. But understand that there's a reason, there's a purpose for, for, for fasting. Okay, let me just end with where we began. Fasting is not what commends us to God. Fasting does not earn us a right relationship with God. Fasting is designed to take us deeper into our experience with God. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It is a spiritual discipline that prepares us for game time, for real life, knowing how to go at life God's way. All right? Okay, we're, we learned together through that one. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your grace and for the, uh, the promise to work in us and to spiritually um, nurture us so that we can grow up and be more like Christ and, and live lives that are godly. That's what your word says, lives that are pleasing to you. And thank you for these spiritual disciplines that all together help us prepare for that kind of life, a life that pleases you. Would you help us, God, even with this hard idea of fasting from whatever it might be, for however long it might be, would you give us the strength? And then, as a result, would you show us that reward that Jesus talked about? Your Father in heaven will reward you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.